Good morning. I'm sorry to do this to you, but I'm going to ask you to stand again for the reading of Isaiah chapter 6. And then this will be a reading that is done, and then we will all read uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 8 together. Chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on the throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. He said, Go and tell this people, be ever hearing, but never understanding, be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused, make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Then I said, for how long? And he answered, until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. And though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. But as the terebinth and oak leaves stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump. Matthew chapter 5 verses 1 through 8. Thank you. Shall we pray? Almighty and everlasting Father, we pause this morning because we recognize from your word that you are indeed holy. You are a holy, awesome God. You are all-powerful, 
You're all knowing. You're all wise. Oh God, we thank you this morning that we don't need a priest that we have to go to to confess, but we can come directly to you because we are all priests. But you are a holy God. And as we pause this morning, we lift our hearts to you and ask that you would help us, O oh Lord God of hosts, to hear what does say the Lord. Oh God, help us to hear your word this morning. Open our hearts that we might receive the truths of your word. Unstop our air that we would hear. And turn from our wicked ways. And be ye holy. Because you, O oh God, are holy. Father, we confess our sins now this morning before you. And acknowledge that we have failed you in so many ways, Lord. We are not worthy to even stand in your presence or even on our faces, Lord. But we come, Father. Because we know that you are a gracious, loving, caring, heavenly Father. And you said that we should come boldly to the throne of grace and make our requests known unto you. And we come for that purpose today. That we might hear you. And that we might be doers of your word. Be with us this morning. Cleanse us from the inside out. Be glorified, O oh God. Because you and you alone are holy. You and you alone are almighty, all powerful, all wise. And for this we say to God, be the glory, is our prayer. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We stand this morning in the presence of a holy God. A God that sees beyond all that we can even imagine. He knows us from the inside out. We stand in the presence of a God that loves us and cares for us and wants to do a new thing in and through our lives. And that is why I chose this scripture this morning. And I am tempted to ask this question. How many of us, and I'm going to ask it, I'm tempted, I might as well do it, the Lord knows it in my heart already. How many of us will see God or want to see God? Boy, that's a lot. Well, may I say to you this morning that every eye shall see him. But you know, the problem is, how are we going to see him? Are we going to see him as Lord of our lives? Or are we going to see him as judge of our lives? I pray it will be as a result of the fact that we have trusted him as Lord and Savior. Verse 8, we are looking at the blessedness of holiness. 
Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. In this beatitude, we have one of the greatest utterance found in the word of God concerning the life of holiness. Described being the uh, equality of life that God expects for his own. That's those of us who are called by his name. Other Bible passages support these words of the master. The apostle Paul reminds us in his letter to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 3 and I quote for this is the will of God your sanctification that you shall abstain from sexual sexual immoralities now you can put anything in that area there that concerns you. You may not have a problem with sexuality. You may not have that problem. But there are problems that you have. You can, you can place it in there yourself. I'm not asking anybody to admit to anything because we said that God is all-knowing, so he knows your heart. He knows where you are. He knows what you're doing. And then the writer to the Hebrew urges us in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 14 when he wrote, Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see God. How solemn it is to realize that without purity of heart, without holiness of life, there is not a remotest hope of ever entering heaven or seeing God. It is important then that we should understand what the Savior meant when he said in Matthew chapter 5 verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. First of all, I'd like us to look at the consciousness of the pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. The Bible consistently teaches that God is more interested in what we are than what we do. The fact is that what we are determine how we live and how we serve. If the heart is wrong, then the life is wrong. In other words, we need to recognize that if the heart is pure, the life also is pure. Here in 
is the significance of that phrase, the pure in heart. On closer examination, it is evident that we, as a people, need to recognize that this expression of the pure in heart has reference to, one, the personal awareness of purity. The heart stands for the center of the human personality, which involves the intellectual, the emotional, the volitional life of the individual. And this is why Jesus emphasizes the pure in heart. In, if the center of life is holy, holy, then the circumference of life is bound to be affected. He who attempts to change the outward without due attention to the inward is doomed to fail. This personal awareness is a matter of moral responsibility. We must consistently recognize that in our minds and heart and will and life, we represent whom we serve and whose we are. We must be sensitive then, not to grieve the Holy Spirit or quench the Holy Spirit in any way. Secondly, we note the practical awareness of purity. Solomon says in Proverbs 4, 23 and 23, 7, and I quote, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issue of life. For as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Our devotion and service to God can only be accepted if they proceed from a pure heart. Thus, the emphasis that the master puts on the consciousness of our purity, only as the center, I say to you, only as the center and the control of our lives is pure. 
will the flow of our devotion and service also be pure. If the matter of our conscious action is pure and holy, it is the purity of life if we expect to see God. We can acknowledge that if we, if we have someone coming to us to collect rent, for instance, we may anticipate that individual coming But you won't love his coming if you don't have the funds. But if they are coming to bring you a million dollars, I can guarantee you will dress in your very best to receive it. Secondly, we note the consistency of a pure heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. This is a statement of consistency. There are at least two ideas implies here through the word consistency. First of all, we note it is a heart that is daily cleansed. A heart that is daily cleansed. Thank God the scripture leaves no doubt as to how our hearts may be made cleansed. We are told that, well, in Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9, that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And he asked the question, who can know it? And he answers, I know the heart. Yes, God is looking at each of us this morning, at our innermost being. He knows what we are thinking. He knows what our plans are, be they good or evil. And Jesus taught us in Matthew chapter 15, verse 18 and 19, and I quote, These things which proceeds from the heart defiles a man. Evil thoughts, murders, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, blasphemies, end of quote. To help us understand this miraculous and glorious process of daily heart cleansing, let me name four main grace which are used 
to make and keep our hearts and lives clean. The first is the application of the precious blood. John 1 verse 1 and 7 says, and I quote, The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. The word cleanse is basically the same as the adjective pure in our verse. How wonderful to know that as we walk in the light, as God is in the light, a purifying process goes on in our hearts through the application of all that the blood of Jesus Christ symbolizes. When Jesus died on the cross, he condemned and he conquered sin in order that we might know that inner cleansing. 1 John 1 9 says, and I quote, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. End of quote. May I say to you, the blood of Jesus Christ speaks of the atoning death of the Son of God to justify us and the abiding life of the Son of God to sanctify us. As the hymn writer puts it, Oh, precious is that flow that make me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Secondly, we note the ministration of the living word. In the high priestly prayer, Jesus used these words. In John 17, 17, when he said, Sanctify them by thy truth. Your word is true. When ministering to his disciple, the master could declare again in John 15, 3, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken unto you. And David Ask and answers the question in Psalm 119, verse 9. How can a young man cleanse his way? He answers by taking heed 
according to his word. The Bible is God's way of cleansing the believer in his heart and life. Thirdly, we note the operation of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians 6, 11. Paul reminds his listeners of their sinful past and then he says, and I quote, and such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. End of quote. Let us remember that the one who indwells this temple body of ours is the cleansing, sanctifying Holy Spirit. We cannot claim that he indwell our hearts if we are living unholy lives. This is Paul's whole argument in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 when he asked, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? You are not your own. I wonder if we realize that when we are born again into the family of God, we are no longer our own. John goes on to say in 1 John 3, 3, and I quote again, Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. How can we live in light of the Savior's eminent return and be holy or defiled? Paul was very, very jealous as he presented his converts in 2 in, in Corinthians 11, 2, when he said, and I quote, as chaste virgins to Christ. That was the kind of, uh, 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 of desire Paul had for his converts, that they were chaste virgins. For Christ. And that is exactly what he expects of us as individuals. There is only one way to keep the purifying hope alive, effectual in our lives. Paul the Apostle sums it up when he wrote of these in 2 Timothy 4, 8. He says, and I quote, 
who have love is appearing. Here is a difference between, as I said already, expecting his appearing and loving it. We all are expecting his appearing, but are we loving it? Are we looking forward to it? Are we hoping and praying and be able to say like the saints, the saints of the past, even so, come Lord Jesus? Fourthly, we know the heart that is daily cleansed. Blessed are the pure in heart. With the idea of cleansing here is also the idea of control in the word pure. We could describe it as single-mindedness or single-eyed or single devotion to God. Perhaps the psalmist best describes this aspect of purity when he prayed in Psalm 86 verse 11 and states, Unite my heart to fear your name. Unite my heart to fear your name. And we are talking about reverential fear here. One of the base calls for impurity is a divided heart. Romans chapter 7, verse 22 through 23, describes the struggle between two natures. Here we have the Apostle Paul again, and I quote, I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. Such a divided heart inevitably leads to spiritual adultery and unfaithfulness. What God wants from us is singleness of heart and devotion and purpose. Only when Jesus is Lord of the heart is there control. How we need to pray these words of Paul Gahart who says, Oh, knit my thankful heart to thee and reign without rival there. Won't we want God to reign within us without rival? 
there is a lot of rivalry going on in and through our innermost being, if you want to be honest. I, do you agree with that, or it only happens to me? Maybe it only happens to me. But there is a lot of rivalry within. Paul identified. Thirdly, we note the consequences of a pure heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Let us note that there are both a present and a future blessing provided for us in this beatitude. The present version or vision of God is the fact that they shall see God. That's God's vision. Throughout the New Testament, we have reference to the vision of fate. The Hebrew writer tells us in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 9, we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angel, crowned with glory and honor. And later on, he exhorts us again in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 that says, who is the author and finisher of our faith. Paul goes on. He writes about Christ of an unveiled vision in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 8. He says, and I quote, though you have not seen him, you loved him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. Are you joyful today because of who Christ is in and through your lives? These and other Bible references lead us to accept the fact that the believer can enjoy and experience fate here and now. Let us note again, one, the glory of Christ is seen in God's creation all around us. Psalm 19.1 says, and I quote, The heaven declares the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. My friend, we are, we are without excuse. The Bible tells us, again in John 1.3, All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. So, in creation, we see the Lord in his eternal power and Godhead. As Romans 1.20 says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, that is his eternal power and divine nature, 
have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. This creative glory should lead us to wonder as the hymnist says uh, again and I quote heaven above is softer blue earth around is sweeter green something lives with lives in every hue Christ's less eyes have never seen secondly we note the glory of Christ in God's work within us Ephesians 1.18 I quote the glory of his inheritance in the saints you see as we see the glory of his redeeming grace in fellow believers in nature and in the function of the church we are led to worship the Apostle Paul describes it in Ephesians 3.10 when he says, The manifold blessing or the many-colored wisdom of God by the church. Thirdly, the glory of Christ in God's word within us. Second Corinthians 3.18 We all with unveiled face, behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. End quote. As we see Jesus in the word and long to be like him we are led to witness may I say to you today if you are led by the Spirit if you spend time in God's Word you cannot not witness I don't care what your excuse is you must be willing to tell others what God is doing in and through your life. So we can test our present vision of faith by asking the question, can I see the glory of Christ in creation, in the church, in the world? But then note the future vision of God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. It was always deemed a high privilege for the Eastern nations to stand in the presence of kings like King Solomon. Queen of Sheba was able to say how wonderful it was for the servants of Solomon to be able to sit or stand and listen to his wisdom. And if this is true about earthly rulers and kings, 
how much more it must mean for the King of Kings and Lord of Lords when he, in all of his splendor, ah, your concern and mine should be so to live as not to be ashamed when his eyes meet ours. This is what John had in mind when he wrote in 1 John 2:28. And now, little children, abide in him that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. End of quote. Whether we shall see God as Father himself or only see him and know him in Christ in the day, that day when we look into the face has not been really revealed to us. Today, we know God in Christ. And if that is so blessedly wonderful, what will it be like when we see our Savior and Master face to face? Hence, the hymn writer says, face to face with Christ my Savior. Face to face, what will it be when with rapture I beholding Jesus Christ who died for me. In conclusion, we have examined what the Lord Jesus meant by consciousness, consistency, and consequences of a pure life. Oh, that we might be found following holy as well as perfecting holiness in the fear of God. May all the day, days of our lives only then shall we be truly satisfied when we awake in his likeness. Amen.